0: the readings are from exodus uh, chapters 11 and 12 the uh, chapter 11 now the lord said to moses i will bring one more plague on pharaoh and on egypt after that he will let you go from here and when he does he will drive you out completely tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of the country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire, with the head, legs and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand eat it in haste it is the lord's passover on that same night i will pass through egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and i will bring judgment on all the gods of egypt i am the lord the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when i see the blood i will pass over you No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days, except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast, from the evening of the fourteenth day until the evening of the twenty-first day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and anyone, whether furor or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the lord goes through the land to strike down the egyptians he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the lord will give you as he has promised observe this ceremony and when your children ask you what does the ceremony mean to you then tell them it is the passover sacrifice to the lord who passed over the houses of the israelites in egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the egyptians then the people bowed down and worshipped the israelites did just what the lord commanded moses and aaron At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses, and Aaron said, "'Up! "'Leave my people! You and the Israelites, go worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me.
1: Thank you, Stuart, for reading that long reading for us. And thank you to everyone who has read for us during this series on Exodus. All the readings have been quite long but I feel it's important that we read the whole story in in order to understand it. Let's pray now as we turn to reflect on this long story. Lord God, thank you for your long history with us as human beings. Thank you for your long suffering, your patience with us. Thank you for the freedom that you have bought for us and we pray that you would open our hearts now that we might understand that freedom and learn to walk in it. We pray this in Jesus name, Amen. We continue on our journey through Exodus. And we come to the final and most horrific plague in this narrative, this narrative that we've been following for the last seven weeks. After the plague of Locust, the eighth plague in chapter 10, Pharaoh's officials come to plead with him to do as Moses asks. Their words are these Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? Indeed, Egypt at this point was on the verge of ruin. After the hail and the locusts, the crops and the livestock on which the Egyptian economy depended were destroyed, but things were just about to get a whole lot worse. After the penultimate plague, that plague of darkness, Pharaoh tells tells Moses that he never wants to see his face again. At that point, Pharaoh ends the relationship. Pharaoh is fed up with Moses and fed up with Moses' is God. He isn't even going to try anymore. By this time, Pharaoh's heart is as hard as a stone. But the next day, however, Pharaoh will end up calling Moses back and doing exactly what God has commanded. That sadly won't come without a lot more pain to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people. And just as Moses is leaving Pharaoh's presence, he has one more terrifying message from God. God says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne... The firstborn of the female slave who sits at her handmill, and all the firstborn cattle as well. And then the text adds this, this curious detail. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. From the first plague until now, Moses has been cool as a cucumber. I don't know if you've noticed that. And he prays for Pharaoh when Pharaoh asks him to. Moses allows Pharaoh to set the time when the plague of the frogs is to end. Moses has no rebuff at Pharaoh's obvious deception in chapter 9 when he confesses his sin and admits to being in the wrong, but all along hardening his heart even more. Moses, although unbending throughout all this, is quite calm. Moses' demeanor in all these interactions with Pharaoh have been in line with God's own demeanor towards Pharaoh. Back in chapter seven, God had said it should be that way. God says to Moses, I have made you like a God to Pharaoh. So here in chapter 11, verse eight, when it says, Moses is hot with anger. Moses is expressing God's own anger. But why now? Why is God angry now and not before? Well, I think the obvious answer is the magnitude of the plague that is about to come. God and his prophet have been very patient up until now. But with the prospect of such utter devastation ahead in the plague of the death of the firstborn of Egypt, god is angry and moses is angry along with god and again it is never god's intention that any should perish but what is happening here is all because of pharaoh's hard and hardening heart and what about this curious plague of the firstborn why the firstborn Does that represent something here that we should take notice of? I think it does. Back in chapter 4, when Moses is commissioned by God, God tells Moses what to say to Pharaoh. And it's this. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. The firstborn, as we know from other stories in the Bible, was the one who was to inherit from the father. He's the one who will receive the father's blessing. The firstborn is the one who is in line to carry out the father's intentions. Israel, God declares, is my firstborn son. Israel is the whole nation that God has chosen, chosen, as we have said many times before, to be blessed and to be a blessing to the whole world. And Pharaoh, by not releasing the Israelites from bondage, is attempting to stand in the way of God's plans to redeem the world. And so God Will thwart the intentions of Egypt by killing Egypt's firstborn son. You might recall that when we began this series, we spoke of the themes and the patterns that we see in Exodus that we also see repeated elsewhere in the Bible. And we identified in Pharaoh the archetype of willful rebellion against God, that archetype that we see in Babylon in Persia, in Rome, and in so many other places and individuals throughout the Bible. The story of God's battle with Pharaoh is played out over and over again throughout God's history with his world. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, a dark force tries to subvert God's plans for his creation. There, the serpent tempts God's firstborn, Adam and Eve. They were the ones whom God had chosen to fulfill his purposes, and yet they end up expelled from the garden. I wonder, is there an echo here in God's words to Pharaoh of what God might also have said to the serpent? These people, Adam and Eve, are my firstborn. They are the crown of my creation. And I told you, let them go so that they may worship me, so that they may serve me, so that they might live in relationship with me. But you refuse to let them go. So I will kill your firstborn son. I will thwart your intentions because you are thwarting mine and I am the sovereign Lord. The Bible's contention is that that same dark force in the garden embodied in the serpent is what stands behind every Pharaoh and every heart that hardens itself to God's will and God's way. If the story in Exodus tells us anything, it is that that dark force will not prevail. Justice will be done. God will have his way. But there's still the persistent problem that we touched on last week. Why does the firstborn of the slave or or servant woman and the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon, as well as the firstborn of Pharaoh who is on the throne, have to die in this plague? Last week, we recognized that all the Egyptians were complicit in Pharaoh's decisions. And whether they liked it or not, all the Egyptians were judged right alongside Pharaoh. Now that might be justice, but it seems very harsh. Later, we will see that when the children of Israel escape the land of Egypt, Egypt and its ways do not escape them. The people of Israel become just as hard-hearted and just as rebellious against God as Pharaoh ever was. So wiping out the firstborn of Egypt doesn't seem to solve the problem of sin and evil. Maybe something more radical than these plagues is called for. Do we have something in this story that we're looking at today that might give us a hint as to that more radical thing that needs to be done? to solve the problem of sin and evil. With chapter 12 on the eve of this horrific plague, we have God telling Moses to celebrate a festival. Now that seems a bit out of place here, doesn't it? And it isn't just here at the beginning of chapter 12 that we have God stipulating how the Passover is meant to be celebrated. We get it again at the end of the chapter And again in chapter 23, and then in the book of Numbers several times, and in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, as well as in the book of Ezekiel. This festival seems to be really important to God. For the Jewish people, even to this day, Passover is a festival full of food and fun, but it's also highly symbolic. And it points profoundly, I believe, to what God would do in Jesus to defeat evil, once and for all. There are two unique and important things about this plague, as opposed to the other nine plagues that have preceded it. Firstly, this plague does not require Moses and Aaron to do anything. With all the other plagues, They, Moses or Aaron, either lifted up their hands or lifted up their hand with a staff in it. But with this plague, they, Moses and Aaron, are mere observers, just like everyone else. The second thing that is unique in this plague, this most horrific plague, is that God himself promises to come. The presence of God, the presence of a holy God amongst sinful human beings, of course, is dangerous. We will see this defined even more clearly in the instructions given about the tabernacle later in the book of Exodus. It's important here to realize that the danger of God's presence was as real for the Israelites as it was for the Egyptians. When the text in chapter 12 verse 30 says, there was not a house without one dead, this was as true for Israelite households as it was for Egyptian households. The big difference, however, was that the one dead in the Israelite households was a substitutionary lamb whose blood was painted on the doorpost and the lentils other dwellings the lamb was meticulously selected it needed to be perfect and it needed to provide every uh, it needed to provide enough meat for everyone in the household so it needed to be sufficient perfect and sufficient none of this is any by any means a mechanism whereby a family could be spared from the plague god could have spared the israelites by his own choice as he proved to be able to do in the last four plagues but by the prescription of the passover and the specifically and specifically the prescriptions to do with the lamb god was communicating something that would not be completely understood for another 1500 years in a surprising twist on the Passover tradition. At the last supper on Maundy Thursday, there is no lamb mentioned, as I told the children already. It's surprising because as Exodus 12 makes clear, the lamb was the center of this whole tradition. So there at Jesus's last supper, there is unleavened bread, and there are the cups of wine but there is no mention made of this meticulously chosen lamb. The lamb, however, is there at the Last Supper and the lamb was right at the center of that meal. Jesus, the unblemished, sinless Son of God is there at the center of the meal. On Good Friday, the next day, Jesus will go to the cross to be made the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And here I believe we find the answer to our question about the harsh judgment we see in Egypt. God, of course, being God, is justified as judge. He is judge not just of Egypt, not just on the firstborn males of Egypt. But God is the judge of all sons and daughters of men. Because God is the creator. This is his world. He's the one who has stipulated how things worked. And yet we have all sinned. And we have gone astray, the Bible teaches us. God cannot and does not overlook his justice but he does add mercy to his justice. And so God himself, in the person of Jesus, bears the punishment, bears the judgment. Jesus is a substitution, not just for the firstborn families of the Israelites way back then, but for everyone who will put their trust in him. John the Baptist saw it coming when he identified jesus as the lamb of god i said already that with this plague unlike all the rest moses and aaron and the people could do nothing not lift a hand or raise a staff they were required to they weren't required to do anything but only observe in awe and maybe not just a little terror But with the Passover, they couldn't do much in the plague. They weren't asked to do anything in the plague. But with the Passover, they were required to do a lot. The people of Israel were required to get ready. They were required by the, the Passover stipulations to ready the meal. But more importantly, they were required to get ready to go. The Passover was a pilgrim meal. It was a meal for people migrating from bondage to freedom. From this night on, they would be free. Is it not the same with us? There is nothing we can do to win our redemption. We just aren't able. It must be done for us. And the good news is that in Jesus, it has been done for us. God has done it, and it is wonderful in our eyes. What is required of us, just like it was for the Israelites, was to get ready, to get ready to go, to get ready to walk into the freedom that God has prepared for us. My prayer this Easter is for us all whether we are new to faith or have been christians for decades and my prayer is that we will walk together with confidence into the freedom that christ through his cross and from his empty tomb has won for us such freedom can be a scary and difficult experience it certainly was for the israelites in the wilderness But we, like them, can be sure that God doesn't leave us at the exit gate of Egypt, but he walks with us every step all the way to the promised land.